what's the impact of getting better at product management? What's the impact for you and on you, for your company, for your team if you're a product management leader? Well, you know, there's a lot of us posting on LinkedIn and writing Medium articles and doing podcasts like this one about improving your product management skills. But, but why? Who cares? You know, as product managers, we think a lot about the value of the things we build or that we get other people to build for us. I think it's worthwhile to put that lens back on ourselves sometimes. So what is the value of the things we do? Can it be measured? And who benefits and how much? I did a little poll on LinkedIn this week. It had four options, kind of tongue-in-cheek, for what you think is the most important reason you follow me and the other hashtag product management writers. Or as I titled the poll, the best reason to get better at product management. There are four options. Deliver a better product. Improve my career. Help the company succeed. Or get my first or next product management job. Now, I know the answer is all of the above because we're product managers, so it's always, it depends. But on LinkedIn, you can only answer one, and the breakdown, I thought, was quite interesting. Honestly, I expected the two personal goals to dominate, improve my career, and get my first or next product management job. But in fact, and I know this poll isn't scientific at all, the other two options were far more popular. Deliver a better product and help my company succeed. So let's talk about that. Hi, this is Nels Davis. I'm your host for episode number 116 of The Secrets of Product Management. In this episode, why improve? Well, I'm going to talk about a few ideas of what improvement means, and in particular, what is the value of improving your skills. Now, you can find the show notes at secretsofpm.com slash 116. Definitely worth visiting, as I'll be talking about some great resources you can find the links to on that page. So I start out by thinking about the ROI, the return on investment, of improving your skills. In other words, what concrete return do you get, or does your company get, for you becoming a better product manager? Now, my poll results suggest that we are doing this partly out of the goodness of our heart. If my product is better and my company is more successful, that's reason enough for me to become a better product manager. Because we're really devoted to our products, or because we want to help our company succeed. Now, of course, if our product is more successful and our company is more successful, that might pencil out to some kind of valuable return later that's not just intangible but actually tangible. But also let's look at the flip side of this. I've been talking about our own personal results or return for becoming better, but what about our company's return? Isn't having better product managers worth something to the company, especially since we're also devoted to making our products better and our companies more successful? Well, I guess there's a broad sense in the world that better product management is better, but why and by how much? And this is an interesting question for a couple of reasons. The first is really that no one seems to be asking this question. I've asked it a few times, but I don't really see other people raising this question. What's the business value of what we do? The second reason it's interesting is more concrete. What is the actual answer? <laughs> so what benefits can the company get if they improve their product management practice? We'll come back to the company perspective in a little bit, but we're going to start with the benefits to a product manager for becoming more skilled. And I'll start by talking quickly about this ROI for an individual product manager for their own improvement. As my poll indicated, one of the big drivers for product managers is really an intangible benefit. We want to be better. We want to be able to create better products. We want to have the skills to do that, to help the company succeed. It's an end in itself to be more accomplished and skilled and able to get things done. If you think about what Dan Pink 
in his book Drive calls Motivation 2.0, it's all about mastery, autonomy, and purpose. And a lot of times motivation is not about money or other intrinsic, uh, other extrinsic incentives. It's about these three things. I often say MAP, mastery, autonomy, and purpose. If you get better at product management, you will be perceived as more skilled and more masterful. And even though as product managers, we need to give away credit and take responsibility, we usually get credit anyway if things go well, even if we don't take it directly. You know, our reputation within the team, within our teams, and so on, goes up. Now, that's still an extrinsic recognition, but it's only recognition. It's not necessarily something concrete as an incentive. But it's also true that your mastery of product management leads to career success in a few different ways. First of all, if you make the product better, if you're perceived as being someone who can make a product better, that's going to help you with your career, either in your existing company or potentially in a new company. Increasing the likelihood of product success also increases the likelihood of your incentive stock options being worth something meaningful. So if you're in a startup where you have incentive stock options or you're in a big company where you get stock a stock purchase plan or something like that, making the company more valuable, which companies are valuable because their products are valuable as a bottom line thing, you might end up with a new car because of that, or you might end up with a new house if you have good options in a startup, or if you're very early in a startup and you have a great set of options, you might end up with a new life as a result of a successful product and a liquidity event, as they call them. And of course, just be, being a better product manager also increases the likelihood of you getting a better next job. And that's in two things. One is you might be able to get it sooner. You might be able to move up from a product manager to a senior product manager or to a director of product management faster if you build your skills faster. And you also might get paid more, either in your existing role because of your track record or because of what you know or your skills, or you might get paid more in your next job because you have a better, again, track record or something like that. Honestly, the challenge with product managers, in terms of these extrinsic incentives like more salary, is that already our salary is pretty high. You know, we're one of the higher paid groups of people within the organization. Developers are often paid highly as we are, but we're often paid more than some of the developers. So we really, it's really good that we have these other incentives, that we are motivated by these intrinsic goals of making things better and making more successful products. For some of us, the idea of the options becoming worth something is, is highly motivating. Even though the value of the stock options is kind of an extrinsic incentive, the potential value is so high that it still is pretty motivating often. And of course, faster progression is always an incentive for people. That's, an in, that's more of an intrinsic incentive to move faster up your career, especially for those first starting out. All things being equal, if you learn product management skills faster and you get better at them and you learn a broader range of product management skills, you're going to progress faster in your career. You may even, it'll also help you even get that first product management jobs. For sure, there are some personal upsides to being better at product management. And as in most knowledge worker careers, improving your skills will improve your results and your career prospects. And even if you don't end up with a much higher salary in the end, you might get that higher salary a lot sooner in your career if you've continually improved your skills and have the results to show for that. And of course, as I said, there's always those bluebird possibilities that your company will go public and your stock options will be worth something, all because your product crushed the competition 
and was highly successful. It's not true for every product manager. Not every product manager has options, but for those that do, that's a good incentive. That outcome, the product being highly successful and the company being able to go public and all that, or any variation of that, those, of course, are great for the company as well. So let's talk a little bit about the other side of the question, the value or ROI of improving product management for the company. So product management, obviously, it's a business function. And generally, we know the value of business functions, at least to some degree. Like if we hire a new salesperson, we roughly know how much revenue we expect that salesperson to generate if they're successful and they ramp up well. And the same is true for a lot of the other roles within the company. We know how to justify their existence. If we assert that product management has a lot to do with the likelihood of product success, what's it worth to increase that likelihood? In other words, what's it worth to improve the product management practice within a company? And so now we're talking about the ROI for the organization of investing in their product managers. Now, you might recall I had an episode a while ago about how product managers can make more money. And it wasn't about how to get a bigger salary. It was about the five or six different ways that you can increase product revenue in a company and how product managers have leverage over all of these. And roughly speaking, five of those are win deals faster, win more often, in other words, win more engagements, sell into bigger deals, get into more deals, and open up a new segment for a new or existing product. And fundamentally, those map to the following product management-related things. You win faster by addressing or eliminating objections better. You win more often by differentiating against competitors more effectively. Winning more often typically means you're in a deal, there's another competitor, and you sometimes lose to that competitor and you sometimes win. Well, you want to increase the win rate. That's what win more often means. And by doing a better job of differentiating, you're going to win more often. You sell bigger deals by articulating the value of the product or solution better. And that deal may get bigger because you discount less. It may get bigger because you have made the argument that more people should be getting your product. Like if you're selling an enterprise product, it should roll out to more organizations at once or more people within the company. Now you get into more deals by targeting the right segment with the right message. And that might not actually expand the number of leads that go into the top of your sales funnel, but it improves their quality, which means more leads turn into good qualified prospects, and those qualified prospects then turn into more sales. And of course, you open up a new segment or a new product by delivering on an expanded value proposition. And this may be with a new product. It may be with a new feature in an existing product. It may just by, be by finding a new th thing that your product can do that it does very well, and you don't even have to create any new code for that. So everything I just listed there, the by doing something part of the results was something product management should be doing. Differentiating, articulating great responses to objections, defining the market segment and the problem correctly, and articulating the value of the product so that sales and marketing know how to sell it. Now, I have podcast episodes about all these topics and how you can, as a product manager, help sales be more successful selling your product. And I'll put links to all of those episodes into the show notes at secretsofpm.com slash 116. I also think there's an interesting natural metric to use to encompass all of those five items, which is average sales by rep per quarter. Now, if you do any of those five things or a combination of them, you're going to improve the average sales by rep per quarter. So a good way to determine the ROI of improving product management, if you could do this experiment, is to say, how much has the average sales by rep per quarter gone up and how much did it cost to train or coach or educate or mentor our product managers? 
you divide the one by the other and you get the ROI. And the thought experiment is then, if you could get one more sale per quarter per rep, how much would that be worth in dollars to the company? To you, if you're a product leader or an executive. And that's how much the company should be willing to invest in training, coaching, educating, and mentoring their product managers. Let's do just a quick example. Let's say we're not going to run the full numbers, but let's say you're currently selling, you have 10 salespeople, you're selling a million dollars a quarter. So that's $100,000 per sales rep per quarter in five deals, $20,000 deals. Let's say each of them gets one more deal. That means each of them makes 120000 in revenue per quarter or $1.2 in revenue per quarter. That's $200,000 additional revenue per quarter from those salespeople because they can sell one more deal per quarter each. That's $800,000 over the course of a year. So what's it worth to the company to get an additional $800,000 of revenue if they can get that by training their product managers or by doing something to help the product managers become more effective, right? Is it worth spending $80,000? It probably is. That's, 10, that's only 10% of the improved revenue. Now, in a company that is making that kind of revenue, there's probably only one product manager anyway. So spending $80,000 on that one product manager, you probably can't even do that. But you might be willing to spend $8,000 on coaching or on a course or on getting a mentor or whatever it might be. And the ROI of that is going to be really huge. So that's just a little quick model. I'm not saying that by training your one product manager, you can make your sales go up by 20% over the course of a year, but maybe you can, because a lot of times you can really, particularly in those early days, you can have a really big jump between the time when you're not selling effectively and the time when you're selling effectively. And a lot of times that jump in selling effectively is all about the five things that I mentioned doing a better job of positioning and messaging, doing a better job of differentiating, doing a better job of objection handling, and so on. So how does doing product management better make this happen, or even multiples of this? And I don't need to get into the details in this episode. I've got other episodes. But basically, it's kind of like I intimated already. In the short term, product management can help with articulating messaging by providing the right set of product knowledge. I call it the product knowledge package, which is the positioning, the segment, the differentiation, the objection handling. You can use t concepts like the value and equality, which I talk about in some earlier episodes. I'll put those in the show notes, uh, which is really about reducing the prospect's perception of risk of buying your product. It's another aspect of uh, objection handling, typically. And basically, improving the go-to-market using the product knowledge that product management either has or can create and that's often your biggest short-term leverage on improving sales. In other words, product management can have a lot of leverage on sales if, we, if they haven't properly communicated that stuff already, sales and marketing. So longer term, of course, we, it's the stuff that we think of normally when we think about product management, creating new features that close competitive gaps or new features that open competitive gaps against the competitors or creating new solutions for new markets and segments, right? New products, new features, new modules. And all of this is related to the product management team doing better market discovery, better problem validation, and then being effective about taking these solutions to market. If you can help your product team, if you can train them, if you can get coaching, if you can mentor them to do a better job of discovery, a better job of problem validation, a better job of go to market, then your revenues are going to go up. And the metric is number of sales per quarter per sales rep or it's a metric you could use. And in a lot of ways, 
This is a conceptual thing because there's a lot of things that are influencing the sales per rep per quarter, but product management changes should have an impact on that. So let me quickly talk a little bit about a related topic of interest to me, which is the ROI specifically for coaching. Well, there's a fantastic TED Talk by Atul Gawande about coaching. He's a surgeon and a staff writer for The New Yorker, so one of those Renaissance-type people, extremely good writer, and, of course, a very good surgeon. He resisted getting a coach because he's a surgeon, and surgeons resist this kind of thing, just like we do as product managers. But he felt he had plateaued in his skills, and although his results were excellent in surgeries, they weren't improving. So they had improved for a long time, and then they stopped. So he brought in a former professor of his, a retired surgeon, to observe him operating. And the surgeon, surgeon observed him doing a surgery. It went very well. He thought, oh, this will be no problem. And the coach had a page of notes. Just small things, he said. Atul says that after two months of coaching, I felt myself getting better again. And he was essentially sold on this idea of coaching. And this is this idea of coaching like athletic coaching, where there's somebody watching you from the sidelines as you go through your motions, your whatever you're doing in a sport. It might be shooting a basketball or something like that. And they are able to observe you from outside. In fact, what Atul says about coaching is great coaches are your eyes and ears providing a more accurate picture of your reality. They're recognizing the fundamentals. They're breaking your actions down and then helping you build them back up again. And so this is what coaches do. And this is interesting to me, of course, because I'm a coach myself. It's nice to hear somebody super smart like Atul Gawande say coaching is really amazing, but it still raises that question, what is the value? You know, in his case, how many more lives were saved, for example? That's something you might be able to measure if you're a surgeon and you're getting coaching on surgery. And doctors certainly understand that they need to keep up with their profession and continually learn new things. In fact, they, like lawyers, are required to do continuing education to keep their licenses. Well, product managers don't have licenses, and we don't have any kind of certification, and we don't have a continuing education program, which is, I think, curious. It's maybe something we should think about. So I'm not actually answering the question on the ROI of coaching, but of course, as a coach, I think it's high, and it has both tangible and intangible impacts, right? The intangible impacts are those things about, oh, I'm going to be able to build better products. I'm going to be able to make my, help my company be more successful. The tangible ones potentially are, I can get that next job faster. I can get a better salary at my next job, and so on and so forth. Let's talk quickly about ROI for tools. As you know, I'm a big tool supporter. And when I say tools, I mean tools to improve product management performance. You know, tools are cognitive enhancers. And I have an old, old blog post about <laughs> our product management tools are like pencils tied to bricks. It's based on a metaphor from the great Doug Engelbart, the person that invented the mouse and essentially invented the World Wide Web a long time ago and all this stuff. Super smart guy. And he had this great metaphor about pencils tied to, tied to bricks. And I use that in my article. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But anyway, tools are cognitive enhancers. You know, product managers are among the smartest people in the room, typically. There's other there's developers who are super smart as well, but we have these big brains and we're very proud of our brains and we can remember a lot, but we aren't that smart. And tools are gonna help us become more smart or be like we had even bigger brains than we do. Just think about this scenario. You know, you're going out to talk to customers every week. You're taking notes. You spent two years in the company. Can you notice if a weak signal bubbled up over the, those two years? Well, I know that when I go back to some of my notes from two years ago, I always see things that I did not remember that I thought for sure I would remember. 
and they often contribute to me being able to make a better product. I want a tool that's going to help me do that. And of course, if you have notes, it's very important that you have notes. If you, if you don't have notes, you're not going to remember those things at all, as I just il illustrated. I don't remember them anyway. Maybe you have better memory than me, but you know, we all have faulty memories. That's just a reality about being human. And then, of course, if you multiply this to make it 10 times worse, what if there's another product manager in the company? What if there's 10 other product managers in the company? Well, you weren't in those original interviews. You probably haven't read those notes. But if you had a tool that could help you bring all that information together and help you discover that weak signal, that would be pretty powerful. Well, there are tools that do that. I mean, you can start with a wiki. A wiki will help you with that. It won't be great. It won't actually do much work to help surface that. A tool like Product Board, which I talk a lot about, is actually designed to exactly do that, to help you surface that weak signal out of the discovery work that you've done and out of all the inputs that you're getting from the market from all different kinds of directions, including your interviews, your discovery interviews, as well as stuff you hear from support and things like that. And of course, there's lots of other tools. I just talk about Product Board because I'm more familiar with it. The ROI of that, again, can be pretty huge because, again, think about what we're trying to do. We're trying to create, for example, differentiating features that create a competitive gap. Well, you might have heard about something two years ago in a talk with a customer that when you heard something new this week, you put those two things together and it's like, oh, I see how we can create a great competitive gap against this major competitor. Well, if you can't remember that thing that happened two years ago, you're not going to detect that weak signal. The tool is going to help you create an ability to increase the number of sales per rep per quarter. So let's talk about three things you can start doing today. Well, I don't actually have three, I only have two, and I'll talk a little bit about that. So the first thing you can do, I would suggest learning for your company what one more sale per quarter per rep means in terms of revenue and potentially profit. It's good to know that, and it's good to then think about how can I influence that number as a product manager. And I just gave you a whole list of things you can do, and of course, many podcasts about other ways you can influence that. Well, the second point, well, let me just talk about when I was trying to come up with these three points. I struggled on this list when I was coming up with the outline. And I was going to say something along the lines of, well, I'm going to think of some great actions, but it's going to be within minutes of posting the episode. In other words, I'm not going to know for the episode. I knew I'd have a good idea eventually for the three things, and I'll put them in the show notes. So I, hopefully there'll be a third thing. But then I thought, here's something I can talk about. This is a new mental model, right? What do you do with a new mental model? You start to apply it. You figure out situations where it will apply. And I came up with an example. So this is point number two of things you can start doing today. And it's a little bit off the wall and it's long, but I think it's pretty interesting. And it may be turned into its, whole, whole, its own whole episode. So if you're hiring a product manager, I think it makes sense to have a plan for how this product manager is going to create $10 million in incremental revenue in their second year. Not the first year, because that will still be their ramp-up time. But in the second year, how will this product manager have enabled the company to make $10 million more in revenue? And the $10 million comes from another uh, episode that I've talked about where I talk about the business value of product management, which roughly in an enterprise software company is around $10 million. And that's just by dividing revenue by number of product managers, essentially. right? So let's talk about what this means. So. How do you think about what this product manager is going to do to create this? Well, you start from the company strategy. The company strategy, let's just say, it includes growing by $10 million in revenue, and that's probably why you're 
hiring a product manager in addition to hiring some other folks. What does the strategy say about how you're going to do that? Are you going to win more deals, get into a new market, be much better at selling into your existing market? Well, there has to be some kind of a sense of where that money's going to come from. If you recall my episode about strategy, which is episode 111, a strategy isn't just a goal. It's not just we wish to make $10 million more in revenue next year. The strategy for making $10 million more has to include the how, focusing on one or more fronts, probably not too many more, that you will, for whatever reason, make inroads in, be competitive in, knock out your competitors in, whatever you want to say. Now, the strategy might be, we're going to double our revenue from $10 million to $20 million by putting more salespeople on the street, tightening up our messaging so our lead quality is better, and closing more of the deals we get into at a higher average contract value. Now, if you're in tune at all with go-to-market, those are all things that product managers and the product management organization can have a big influence on, and not just by creating new features, although, of course, that's part of how we'll help realize the strategy, tightening up the messaging. Does marketing actually know the exact correct segment to target and the stories to tell to target them? Unless they were on the market discovery calls you did to figure out what product you should build in the first place, they probably don't. Now you, product management, have that information, and you need to make sure marketing has it, can articulate it, doesn't get it wrong, doesn't market to the wrong people, who will just be a waste of time to get into the funnel. You know, you can't make your funnel perfect, but it's a lot better to have 100 qualified prospects in your funnel and close 50 of them than to have 1,000 mostly unqualified prospects in your funnel and close 50 of them. So the to-do item here, if you're working on expanding your product management team, what is that new product manager going to do to help deliver on the strategy? You don't have to be hiring somebody new to do this, of course. You can also do this kind of analysis just for your existing team. We want to make more money, says the CEO, and hopefully they say how they expect to do it. And then the product team can start executing on the how. Anyway, so there's a thing you can start doing that will be really powerful. And as I say, I think this could be a whole show on its own, which I'll probably do. I don't have a number three. Maybe there'll be a number three on the show notes eventually when I think of a really great one. This episode went all over the place. It was fun for me and I hope for you. I think this question of what's the value of a product manager is critical for us to be able to reach our potential, both individually and as members of a product management team and as a business discipline. Because if us getting better can have that amazing ROI I talked about in this episode, the next obvious question is, how do I help my product management team get better? I hinted at a few of those ideas. There are some obvious answers that most product management teams don't do and most leaders don't undertake. Training, coaching, better tools, and more. With that comment, I'll finish up. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please like, rate, review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to it. For more information on these topics, check out the show notes at secretsofpm.com slash 116. Definitely check out the TED Talk from Atul Gawande. It's amazing and inspiring. And I'll link to two versions of it in the show notes, a short one and a longer one. The long one's still not that long. I have a few more links in the show notes as well to some of my related podcast episodes and articles and other materials that I can find that are related to this topic. Until next time, this is Nels Davis. Thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye.